Well, here we go. Good morning, Randall, with the Big Ball of Twine podcast, episode 44. And we're going to talk about the tail wagging the dog today. The tail being our perceptions, our thinking, our thoughts, our mind, and how it wags us, how it wags our life, how it moves us to do certain things, um, and how we might be able to take a different take on that and notice the tail that wags us. So let's strap in and see where that goes. So I have been thinking about a saying, the tail that wags the dog. I have heard that saying perhaps my whole life. And I didn't always understand what it meant. I mean, I knew what it meant. It meant it means, and how I've heard it used is, maybe in a political way, it was used to say something smaller is is controlling this bigger thing. Or in the ways of a person, in the way I'm going to discuss it today, is your mind is wagging your life your mind is driving your life your mind is um, unconsciously subconsciously or even sometimes we let our mind convince us of things and then we take action upon those ideas and that is uh, pretty common I think I have in my life let my mind take over, let my mind tell my better self to do or not do something, I have allowed myself to be pulled and pushed and dragged around by others because that has been my choice. Whether I was aware of it or not, that is how it happened. And I think we all do that at some level. Maybe we all do that because we're humans and it is part of our way as social beings to allow the tail to wag the dog, to allow a society, a culture, a way of life, a group of people, an idea, uh, something that we allow to guide us or to drive us or to change our direction. So last time we talked about that cliche, if you change your thinking, you can change your life. This is about how our thinking um, continues to make us stay stuck. How our egos will, our egos, our subconscious, our id, our smaller part of our brain that maybe is in survival mode or needs us to do things a certain way to um, survive, right? I know for me, the tail that wagged me was fear. I had, I had, I still do sometimes. I still do have a fear of being abandoned. That is definitely part of my world, but I have done a lot of work around that, a lot of therapy, a lot of 
thinking, a lot of feeling about what I think, to know that abandonment for me was a huge thing, but it's also something that is just a, uh, a thought, an idea that has wagged me, right? The idea that if uh, my parents weren't there to take care of me, I would literally die. I would literally not be here. And I knew that at a very young age. And so I was very appeasing. I was a people pleaser. I morphed and changed my thinking a lot to make sure I was safe or I had the illusion of safety. I was never actually safe. I am... I'm very clear about that, but I believed as a child I had to do certain things to create that illusion and, and you know, get fed and sheltered and those kinds of things. Not that those are small things, but that's not the focus of what we're talking about. The focus I want to talk about is that we do things in our lives and then we look back and go, I cannot believe I just did that. And we regret it, or we ignore it, or we live in it, in the consequences of it, and we are baffled sometimes at why we will do those things. We are baffled, we're frightened, we're angry, we're resentful, and then we take out all those feelings on somebody else because we don't want to deal with how we got ourselves in these situations. I used an example last time about losing a job. You lose your job, a company goes under, or I don't know, some circumstance causes you to lose your job, and you can be quite angry, and yet at some level you had responsibility for being at that job. You applied for the job, or you took it on in some way. So everything that happens on, on that job afterwards it's partly your, your responsibility. You chose it. You are choosing it. And you chose it right up to the point where you lost that job. When we make decisions like that, that is the tail that is wagging our life. Those decisions are the tail that wags us. Because they, we move forward in the world after we make a decision and take an action. We move forward in the world based on that decision and those actions. We cannot go back. Um, much as we'd like to, we make up a story that if we hadn't done this or that, this or that, and that thing wouldn't have happened. And we don't know that. But we like to live in a fantasy world of if I'd only, or what ifs, or they made me. Or I should have. And those are nothing more than stories that keep us focused on the past and do not move us forward. They do not change the situation. Sitting in our thoughts, thinking all the ways we should have done something or wanted to do something and chose not to, isn't helpful. It doesn't change anything. That ruminating, that dwelling, that sitting and suffering, is that keeping our ball of twine tightly wound so that we are stuck there 
is not going to change anything. And yet, we find ourselves in that position a lot. We find ourselves stuck. We find ourselves implanted in a place or a time or a situation that we find no way to get out of or no way to change. And I think part of that is because we're still letting the past wag our dog, wag us. Our past is merely the thing in the, that no longer exists. Um, I'm not saying it didn't happen. I'm saying that the past is no longer here. And yet we treat it as if it, we're carrying it around in our hand. We treat it as if it has value. And value is nothing more than a story. No more than the past is just a story. And we treat the past as if we have reverence for it. We, we revere it. We honor it. We have holidays. We have traditions. We have sayings. We have whole cultures built on the ideas of the past. We have religions based on stories of the past. There is value in all of those things. There is value in the idea that if we don't look at the past, we won't um, have a chance to fix the future, to change the future. That I absolutely believe in. But to be stuck in the past as a story that holds us in place, whether that's um, certain things are sins, so that holds us in place. That's a tail that's wagging you as a dog. Maybe it's your political views that wags you. Uh, maybe in my case, it was the idea I would die if I was abandoned. I would no longer exist, so that wagged me. There are many things that people use as excuses or reasons or um, touchstones, cornerstones, if you will, to hold them in place because we don't want to let go of them. At some level, we find value in them. The value may really suck. It may be crappy value. It might be really fucked up. There's a lot of ways that we stay in our fucked up past and we have a fucked up tail wagging us around and we still choose that way until we don't. And that's the beauty of this is awareness, um, growing to understand ourselves and how we think changes our tail, modifies how the tail wags us around alters our path, right? Alters our trajectory through life when we notice the ways that we are being wagged. Whether it's from the media or ourselves or an outside influence, there are many ways that we get wagged. Sometimes out of our own ignorance or our own lack of um, consciousness, awareness, 
sometimes because of our circumstances. I mean, if you were in World War II, as a uh, prisoner of war, any prisoner of any war, and you're scooped up and held um, captive, there are certain things that are wagging your dog, right? That you are somewhat um, unable to control or maybe completely unable to control. And yet, if you talk to people who have made it through those kinds of situations, they will tell you that the only thing that got them through was how they looked at it, how they perceived it, how they understood what was happening, and were able to rise through that using nothing more than their minds. Your body can only withstand so much torture. Your body can only withstand so much fear. But if you are taking control, taking your awareness higher, dealing with the situation in a way that somehow separates you from what's actually happening and shows you um, a view of what's happening that helps you move through it, there's another side to those those situations. Some people who are in those have been in those situations made it through better than others. Not to say that because someone did not make it through that situation, there's something wrong with them. That's not at all true. It's just that there are others who choose or are able to find a, a different way to to recognize what was happening to them and see it differently in some way, separate themselves out or distance themselves and see it for what it was for them and and be able to move through that. So the tail that would normally wag them, they were able to see the tail and alter how that tail was wagging them just through their the ideas and stories and notions in their head. They were able to change that. So that's what we're talking about today is changing the way the tail wags the dog. Our mind wags us. Our mind is constantly fitting the world into our brain. And then we respond to it reactively, often. Something happens and we react. And then we look back and go, I can't believe I just did that thing. I don't know why I said that or I don't know why I did this thing. And we regret it or we fester over it. We hate ourselves or we demand justice. We demand change because we chose something different than we would have wanted in the moment. On hindsight, right, we look back and go, I can't believe I did that. Or we might stop and start to do what I'm asking you to do, which is to question what the motivation is. Why is it we do what we do? What is the idea that we're believing? What deep-seated thing? Um, makes us react in certain ways. I know for me, I would feel under threat daily from my own parents and daily from the children at school. And so I had to constantly um, 
Well, let me rephrase that. As a child, I believed I had to constantly alter who I was to fit the molds of other people so I didn't get my ass kicked. I didn't get bullied. Um, I didn't lose my food source and my shelter source. I don't think I believed I was loved as a child. I don't think that was something I took deeply to heart. Um, my parents might, well, my dad hardly ever said that, but my mom would say it. I just felt like there was some ulterior motive. She wanted something for me, from me. She wanted something from me when those words were uttered. She wanted her comfort, her her needs were need were um, begging to be met when she said those words. They were not given freely out of the feeling in her heart. They were manipulative words. And I'm not saying that because that's what I think. She actually told me that in many more words, but the, the bottom line is that's what she was doing. That was the tail that was wagging her. Her fears, which I'm not clear about, her um, tail that was wagging her was never resolved. I don't believe she had uh, a moment of peace in her life because the tail was always wagging her. Her fears, her anxieties, her experiences that she believed were true in the way she perceived them, her frustrations, her resentments all were wagging her right up to the end as far as I could tell. I'm watching my dad die from ALS right now and I'm watching a man who isn't that much more um, conscious of his wagging that's driving him. It is just the way it is for him. He is a very short while from being gone of this world, and yet he clings to his um, political views with a really tight fist as if it's going to matter. He was filling out his uh, ballot the other day while I was at his house. He was um, busily and concentrating and focused on getting that ballot filled out so he could mail it and get his point of view out there in the world. I'm not saying it's wrong. I just, I'm noticing it. I'm seeing him do it. And he came up to me later and I think he didn't know I was aware of what he was doing as I was working. Um, and he was across the house. I could see him working on it with his now completely useless, useless left arm and left hand doing it all with his right hand that's missing half a thumb that he lost to cancer three or four years ago and now holding the pen between his index finger and his middle finger to write fill in the boxes reading all of the propositions in Colorado that he gets to vote on. And that tail was wagging him. I realize that's my judgment. Um, 
but I, I see that there were other things he could have been doing, like spending time with one of his friends as time is dwindling in his life. Instead, his choice to make his ballot filled out and mailed. Actually, he won't mail it because he believes that the post office will steal his ballot and he won't get counted, so he will put it in the box. These are the stories that we hold dear and and cling to. He's clinging to the story that the mail people will steal and tear up his ballot because somehow they know and they will take his ballot so it won't be counted. This is the tale that's wagging him in his final days. These are the choices he's making. So I don't know that he's any further along than my mom as far as figuring out the tail that's wagging them. And so I'm observing him doing this and I'm noticing that he's being driven by his own mind to do certain things that are difficult in some ways and also seem rather, I don't know, unimportant right now. I realize to him, he feels that getting his vote counted is very important. I'm just trying to see the bigger picture here of the tail wagging the dog and his political fears were wagging him in that in that over an hour it took him to fill out the ballot and get it in its envelope and then come to me and ask me to lick it because he has dry mouth now from the medications of ALS. And so he is um, making those choices and I'm making my choices and I'm watching him make that choice and I'm learning from it. I'm learning how he is making that choice and that is driving him in his decisions in his final days, his final literally hours. He doesn't have much longer to be here and still that's his choice. He doesn't want to miss the chance to get his vote cast and I guess possibly make a difference. I don't disagree that voting makes a difference. I just noticing how he's spending his final days. And he does have hard choices to make. He had to make a hard choice last week while I was there. He had to choose whether to get a a feeding tube, a port put in so he could to decide if he was going to lengthen his life at all. ALS is not curable. There's only waiting. So he knows that his time is waning and he chose not to get the tube because his lungs, his voice, his um, breathing, his ability to swallow um, water for one thing and food for another is dwindling. And because it's dwindling quickly, he had to make a choice He was at a fork in the road on his path to dying to decide if he was going to lengthen it, maybe. You don't even know if we're going to lengthen it. That's a story. We don't know that anything we do lengthens our life. We just like to tell ourselves a story that if we take this medication, if we do this exercise, if we believe certain things, the tail will wag the dog in a way that makes us live longer. So the doctor put a deadline on that and said, you got to decide by... Friday, so we talked about it several times, had several hard conversations about 
the realities of what this is going to mean to him if he gets the tube and not. Can he, at 100 pounds, can he survive the surgery? Will they even do the surgery to put the port in? It's elective. He does not have to do it. It's not an emergency. And his life wishes are not to do emergency things to save his life. So for a while, he was leaning towards the wag that would put a port in. Actually, I should back up. He has pretty much said he never wanted a port up until last week. And when we're up against it, when the tail that's wagging us is death, immediately in our faces, I believe we make different choices, maybe out of fear, maybe out of better judgment, maybe out of um, a different ideal. I'm not saying at all that I judge him for his uh, kind of going back and forth on this decision. I don't. I, I like to think I already know what I want in that situation. I have put myself in his situation for quite a few months now and thought about how would I be doing this. And while I would do it different, I don't judge him for doing it his way. This is his way. And I support him doing it his way, no matter what he decides, whether that's to use the Colorado laws to help end his own life early or to go through hospice, which is looking like that's going to be the way he goes because he might not be able to drink the the cocktail that would put him to death on his own and he has to be able to do that for himself and without the port he can inject it into his own body and um, he has to either drink it or inject it through the port so he may just um, be in a hospice situation at home now that we're finding that out this week and making choices based on that so he chose um, yesterday, the deadline got moved to Monday because the doctor was out on Friday, so it didn't matter what decision he made. He chose to not get the tube. And now that choice, while it's not etched in stone, for him, he has made that choice and he is going to let that tail wag him the rest of the way. That is his thinking and his thoughts and his ideas and his um culmination of all his thinking in his life came down to, do I get a feeding tube or not? Do I get a port put in so I can inject liquid food into my body so that I can survive? And I'm very careful to say or to leave out the words longer. We don't know if putting a port in would make his life last any longer. I mean, medically, you can make the assumption he's getting more food, he's getting more liquid, he might last longer, but the disease does not care about his nutrition, nor his ability to um, intake water. It only just continues on its own, unabated, taking over his his body, reducing the amount of nerve activity to certain parts of his body that will cause him to die. He has his tail that's wagging him, and I don't know because first of all, it's hard to communicate with him, but second of all, not because he doesn't want to, but because he can't hardly do that anymore. And typing with four fingers is not the easiest thing to do either. So we have very limited communication now. Um, 
if I'm not in his presence, it's hard to understand him because I really need to see his mouth moving to help me understand what his words are. And so now I have my tail that wags me. I have my ideas of death. I have my ideas around what people should and shouldn't do. I have my ideas about what I would do while I'm going through a divorce, while I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do with my dad's house and things when he's gone. I mean, I have ideas, but these are just thoughts, right? What am I going to do next? What will I do as the last person in my lineage? Um, below me, I have children and grandchildren, but in my tree above me, I am the last of that line. I have all those waggings going on as well. and it, But I try to step back and notice how I'm uh, seeing the world, what I'm thinking about, how am I biased? How is my thinking driving me without me noticing? I have noticed that I don't feel like my dad is abandoning me. I don't feel abandoned by him. I don't feel that at all. I'm at peace with him walking his path and it has quite literally nothing to do with me. It is not about me what his choices are. It's about him. And I am going to honor what his choices are right to the very end and past it because he has choices about what he wants done with certain things in his life, certain items, what he wants done with his ashes, those kinds of things. I will continue to honor that until such time that that's all done. And he is just the story of my father in the past and no longer the story of my father in the present or future. And I don't know if that's any better a way to look at it than just being reactive, impulsive. I don't know. I do know this. I feel more peaceful when I take a look at my thoughts, when I sit with them, with the feelings that come with the thoughts, and I sit and notice I feel angry, I feel sad, I feel frustrated, I feel um, denied of certain things that I wish I had as a kid because I had the parents I had. I feel angry because um, I'd made choices that tail wagged me in ways that put me in situations in the world. I put myself in situations in the world that consequences were extreme. I did not figure out early on in life how my mind was driving me. And so it did it. I let it do it. I occasionally would make some changes here and there, real superficial changes. But it wasn't until I was able to um, expose myself to a different way of thinking that helped me see I could do a different way of thinking. I could change the way I thought of things. I could change the way the tail was wagging me. So it's not like I'm, I don't know, godlike or something. Some people say we're all God. I, I don't know what that means exactly, but my little universe has been altered. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Has it really been altered? My little universe has been altered because I have taken a different view 
of my thoughts and my thinking, my ideas, my notions, my biases, right? All those things, I try to take a look at how am I approaching the world based on that. What would I like my world to be? How would it be different if I chose different reactions and responses to thoughts? And I feel like I've done a great job. I do. I'm proud of myself that now that my dad is in this um, downward path to his body shutting down, that I don't take it personally. I don't take the things he says personally. I just see him as another entity on this planet doing the best he can. Is he doing it like I would do? No, not at all. He's doing it like he will do, uniquely him. And you do what you will do, uniquely you. The tail that wags you, the tail that wags my dad, the tail that wags me. So I just want to back up for a second because I almost said something out of context. I just want to bring that back into context. There is the idea that we don't have free will and that we don't have choices and that we don't um, know how to make a decision because it's not possible to make a correct or right decision. Every decision has consequences. Every um, every decision has um, things that we set into place that can then not be altered. Even if we make a decision and 20 minutes later we make another decision, we have already altered the future by stepping aside for 20 minutes on a different path. Even if we go to the right, we might have gone to the left for a while. And so there are those who believe we don't have free will. We're just moment by moment walking through this life and there is no better or worse way. There's just the way that it is. And I sort of believe that because you can all the time sit in your ideas and thoughts about what the past could have been like differently that you could have made different decisions and had a whole different life, right? Your whole life could be different if you didn't marry someone and have children. Your life, those are big things, but there's little things too, like um, you do certain things. Short story, I lost my phone at the at, in my dad's car the other day. He drove away and I was at the airport and I needed my phone for, you know, I'm like everyone else, I'm attached to my phone. And I really figured that out pretty quickly how attached to my phone I am. Um, it took quite a while and a lot of circumstances for me to get the phone back. He didn't have his phone. I couldn't call him. So I rang my phone through my computer, my laptop, my Find My Phone app. Luckily, I have that working. And I rang it a bunch of times, and he heard it, used his perfectly thinking mind, because ALS does not make you, um, doesn't take your mind from you takes your body from you. So he's well aware of what's going on around him. So he spent a good deal of time calculating out how to get my phone to me. He was four or five miles away. He drove back to the airport, parked, which was no easy task for him with ALS, with only one hand, and found a place that would page me all that time, which just took like 45 minutes for all this to happen. I had gone through security, gone to the gate, and when I got there, I noticed that the phone was back at the airport. 
knowing that my dad then must have brought it back. So I rushed back to the main terminal and asked someone, hey, can you look on this app and see, does that look like a familiar place? He goes, I don't really know. And it was a, it's a much longer story than this, but the short story is, he said, go down to Lost and Found. I had already been there earlier. I knew where that was. I should know where the elevator was. And he said, the elevator's over there. So I take four or five steps towards the elevator and across the concourse is my dad. And I see him and I run over to him and I'm waving as I'm coming because his eyesight's not super great. And he says, oh, I found him, I found him. He's talking to the woman who was about to page me. So we all make choices that work out in a certain way. And the reason I bring that story up is if I had kept my phone in a more secure place in my hand or whatever, would not have fallen under his seat. And that whole basically hour-long thing would not have happened. And then what would have happened if I hadn't done that? How would the rest of my day gone? How would it have gone if my dad, who's incredibly hard of hearing without his hearing aids and he doesn't want to get them fixed anymore, how would my life have been different the next day when my very sweet friend fell down and broke her wrist if I had not had my phone with me to then have to do some work to take care of her and the world around me? How would my life have been different if I had my phone all that time? What circumstances would have evolved differently to change my world? Certainly, I was able to notice how locked to my phone I am, and hopefully that makes me a better person with making sure I have it when I need it. And also to notice that there are times I don't actually need to have it. So, and to be careful about noticing what those times are and, and making sure that I'm clear about what that looks like. And there's also a belief that, and this one is really far-fetched to me, but I'm going to mention it anyway because it's, it's not out of the realm of possibility because we cannot know, like death, we don't know what happens when we die. Like wondering if there's a God or a... a higher power or a universal energy. We don't really know these things. And so we make up stories around them that drive our lives, whether it's religion or science or um, just making up stories, which I'm not sure some of these aren't just made up stories, but there is a belief out there in the world that we are uh, part of a, a high-level simulation. <laughs> I know I, I might have even brought this up before because I find it fascinating. Not that I believe it because I don't believe we're part of a simulation, but I I can let my mind wonder if that's true. Could it be that a civilization or a culture way more advanced than us, maybe who's had computers for, I don't know, let's say for 50,000 years, and when we look at how far we've come with computers just in my lifetime, because really computers were are not much older than I am, um, there's we have created a way different world based on our computing ability 
our machine engineering that creates computers and, th- and has computers doing these calculations. We call it um, processing, but it's calculations, basically. It's answering if and then questions. Um, it's ones and zeros, and I know there's new computing that's not just ones and zeros, but the ones and zeros are where we are now. What if 20,000 years from now or 50,000 years from now, our computing is so sophisticated that those computers are creating their own simulations or this civilization is creating simulations and we it's so realistic that we are we are that simulation and if that was possible and again I want to say that I don't believe that's what's happening to me right now I don't believe I'm a simulation and someone with a 50,000 year um 50,000 year ahead of us joystick or keyboard is manipulating my world to see what happens to me. I don't believe that. But I do think it's a fascinating idea. I do think that the idea of a God is a fascinating idea. Is there really a force that's creating everything around us? Is it God? Is it physics? Is it a simulation? Do I believe any of them? don't know that I believe any of them. I do believe that there are forces around us, all of us creating our own worlds, that we all bump into each other and create momentum and worlds and ideas and cultures. I believe that's true. But again, it could just be me creating it all for myself, which in some way it is. In some ways it is me creating how I interpret the world, how I take in the world and let that world that I create in my own head wag me. So if I believe in God, that tail wags me. If I believe in physics and the power of a universal God or whatever universal energy force, if I believe in um, witches or I believe in I don't know, whatever it might be, I then create my own world around that. That becomes the tail that wags my life. And so I just want to leave you with that, that you have the ability to wag your own body, your own life. You have the ability to be be what you want to be. You can be the tail that's wagging your own life by looking at how you choose to let the the tail wag you now. So if the tail is going to wag the dog, why would you want to choose it wagging you unconsciously or without your consent, so to speak, without your um, influence? Let's influence our own lives. Let's influence the tail that's wagging us. Let's take a different take on the world. Let's view it differently. I know I do. Um, I got a uh, an email yesterday, or I don't remember when. Two days ago, yesterday doesn't matter. Yesterday or the day before, yesterday, saying that I had been creating this podcast for a year now, and you know, welcome to the year club, blah blah blah. Um, Hope that 
you use your ideas for good or whatever it said. I really didn't think about what it said much, but it, I did take notice that I have been doing this for a year. This is episode 44, and I've been doing, doing this for a year. And then I thought about it while I was thinking about the topic of the tail wagging the dog. been thinking about it for a few days now. Um, I was wondering how getting that email would alter my world. How would it change how I think about things? Because up until that moment, I hadn't really noticed how long it had been. I knew it had been, I mean, if someone asked me, I would say, oh, about a year. But I don't, didn't know the exact date was yesterday that I published my very first 10-minute long uh, podcast or 12 minutes, whatever it is. Um, clunky as it was, though I wrote it down on a piece of paper and tried to read it, realized in very few episodes that that wasn't going to work for me. I needed to just wing these things and just speak off the cuff, so to speak. I am... Um, was noticing really how that was a a piece of information that might change how I moved forward so that that was a tail wagging me, so to speak, right? Information is that way. It is something that alters our tail. That was new information to me. And so that information wagged me differently yesterday. And we take in information all the time. You're listening to me and you're taking in this information as I perceive it in the world. I'm sharing it with you and you're taking it in and you will do with it as you choose. My invitation to you is take what I've said today as I will do moving through my day and notice how you are being wagged by some other tail. It's ultimately your thinking. You are the tail that's wagging yourself. Notice that. Notice how you take in information, how you respond to things in a knee-jerk, reactive way. Notice how you feel. Are you feeling anxious, afraid, happy, sad, delirious, frustrated? Um, how are you feeling and what's, what drove that? How did you get to that feeling? What is the thing, the trigger, as we say, right, the trigger? What is it that made that happen? What is the tail wagging that made that happen? So I offer that to you, and I hope that your day is filled with open mind and the willingness to alter your life by noticing how there's a tail that is wagging your dog. You are that dog, and your mind is that tail. So, wow, that was really long, um, but I guess I just needed to go there today because I needed that and I hope that you need it and I hope you have a wonderful day and I will catch you next time hey thanks for listening today just want to remind you that as you leave to hit the subscribe or follow or whatever button your software has so you can Hang out with me and listen when you feel like it and be alerted when when I stick something out there you might want to listen to. If you have a question that you'd like me to address maybe on the podcast or maybe just privately, send an email to bbotpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for coming in and listening. 
I hope you have a great day, and I hope you treat yourself and others kindly.